The reason why hell is such like an intense conversation to have is because it is literally the scariest thing you can imagine. Yeah. And so oftentimes the people who, the majority, the traditionalists, eternal conscious torment people, they'll accuse anyone who does not hold that view of making that decision emotionally. Well, welcome to Office Theology Podcast. Today we are tackling the hot take of the doctrine of hell. I'm super excited to introduce our guest. His name is Josh. You may know him as Sword and Pencil on Instagram. Uh, he has incredible artwork. Um, and his, I would say that the artwork's incredible, but you also post like things to think about underneath. And so it's not just yeah. your artwork, it's also the content that you bring um, that challenges us to think a little bit differently or expand our thoughts. So yeah, share a little bit more about kind of who you are and how you got to where you're at. Yeah. Um, so it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Josh. I started sword and pencil a few years ago. Um, like most things, you don't know why you start them. You just kind of do, or you have like a baseline idea of kind of what you want. Um, and then with calling in general, you cultivate it. And so as time went on, I took the things that I cared about and loved and the things mm -hmm. that seemed to resonate with people. And then as I saw what the overlap of that was for like what people I perceived to need, mm -hmm. Sword and Pencil, as you know, it now was born. And so some of that is art. Some of it is writing. Some of it's speaking, mm -hmm. uh, like stuff like this. Um, and it's just been a blast. It's just been so fun to watch it unfold for the past few years. Yeah, that's super cool. And you're you're writing a book too, right? Yeah, I am. I uh, I'm about halfway done. My manuscript is due in a few months, and then okay. uh, I can't share anything about it. Like my I figured, lips yeah. are sealed, lock and key. Yeah. yeah. But I am so pumped. Like I I send chapters as I'm done them to my wife, and she's like, mm -hmm. "Okay, like this is gonna be a doozy." Wow. And she's not just like the best thing about my wife is um, she's not. She loves me, but she's not like a fan girl in the sense of like, yeah. there's tons of posts I make that she's like, oh, I didn't read that one. And then, but if she, so she's not like, <laughs> just like, yeah, like running around the house screaming every time I walk in. Yeah. Um, I would probably say my wife's the same. She goes, yeah. I don't really like that one. I don't even think that was that good. I'm like, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> you got to get you a girl like that. Like, yeah, that's the, that's, they're the best. And so when she says, yeah, this is really good. That means a lot to me. And so mm. I'm getting more and more pumped as things go that's along. That's cool. Yeah. So like, you can't even share like what the topic is. Nope. Okay. Great. Keep it is, it is like, um, the best thing I'll say is it takes like two or three core sword and pencil ideas and just like maximizes them. Great. So it's all the things I wish I could do that you could never do. And mm -hmm. like a 30 second time thing, or mm -hmm. even a podcast, like you just books. I do not care what anyone says. We will need books, real books forever and yes. ever. Yes. Um, and so that's why I'm okay to write one. Cause mm -hmm. I think we still need them. Yeah. Yeah. And you can expound on thoughts. Uh, a lot, a lot more than you probably could, like, and even in conversation like this, yeah. like a book on the doctrine of hell is going to be significantly more intricate and longer <laughs> yeah. than our conversation today. I've got yeah. some suggestions even right here. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. So <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. We'll hop into yeah. the, to the topic. So, um, if you are watching or listening, if you didn't know a while back, we did a hot take on the doctrine of hell and we pulled the three most popular takes. 
uh, eternal conscious torment, or some people call it eternal conscious punishment. Um, the second one was annihilationism or conditional immorality. And the third one was Christian universalism. Um, and so these results were, were kind of interesting to me, but if I'm honest, they didn't shock me a ton. Um, yeah. So eternal conscious torment was around 78% of people. And I think there's about three to 4,000 people that voted on these. Mm. And then um, annihilationism and conditional immor- immorality is 14%. Christian universalism is 8%, which I will say I probably got in the most uh, intense conversations with those that 8%. Totally. And for Christian universalism, they, they were pretty aggressive about their stance. And it was pretty wild. And so um, what I'm going to have... What about it? Exactly. So we'll have... Um, before we break down kind of the results, uh, can you teach and kind of expound on what each position is um, and then later we'll jump into kind of where they got that from. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'll start with universalism. Okay. Universalism, broadly speaking, is the idea that everybody lives forever and then that the unsaved are going to be refined in hell and eventually one day reunited with God. So in that sense, hell is like temporary Mm-hmm. and serves as a place for restoration and rehabilitation, right? Mm. So their big idea is hell is temporary. It's going to refine you, rehabilitate you. Everything will be subject to God and restored. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's yep. that's interesting, though, real quick, because I just yeah. finished my um, Mormonism versus Christianity. And oh, that's cool. a lot of the view that Mormons, the LDS hold as well, that yeah. their, quote, lowest level of of the kingdom is restorative like that for post-mortem salvation. Yeah. Yeah. And there are like, there are, um, you know, like without showing my hand too much quick, like Mm -hmm. where I land, I think there are some things that are more consistent with Christian universalism than the traditional eternal conscious torment view. Mm -hmm. Because the thing that is tough with hell, the thing that's tough with all doctrine and theology is just being consistent. Right. It's not 100%. enough to have an idea or just like we were chatting about previous, like, hey, this is what I was brought up with. It mm-hmm. has to be like across the board. Right. It can't be true yeah. just in these momentary spots. And so, yeah, um, I started a conversation a little while ago for like my subscribers. We're talking about, is it OK for Christians to smoke weed? And as you start getting into the discussion around what it means to be sober minded, mm-hmm. um that things really get intense because like the idea of sober mindedness, for example, has to be broad enough to say you're not sinning if you're so tired that your body is essentially drunk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have to have like a robust enough idea that fits in scriptural categories and also still prohibits what scripture prohibits. And so Mm -hmm. when it comes to the doctrine of hell, consistency is key. That's like what changed my mind on tons of stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. So the next the next definition is like the traditionalist, the eternal mm. conscious torment. Um, this is the idea that everyone lives forever and that mm-hmm. the unsaved will be eternally consciously punished in hell, which means hell is a permanent thing. Yes. Um, hell is a place of everlasting torment for body and soul. And the assumption that the traditionalist that um, the person who holds to eternal conscious torment holds is that the soul is immortal 
And it's mm -hmm. the same assumption that the universalist makes. Mm. Um, the last view is annihilationism or conditionalism. And it's the idea that not everybody lives forever. Immortality is a gift that is given to those who are in Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it is the idea that the unsaved are punished and suffer for a finite time. And yeah. that results in like a permanent destruction. And there are varying degrees of that, right? Some people believe once you die, that's, or once you get to the second judgment, that's it. Mm -hmm. um, some people believe that hell goes on for as long as it needs to, till everyone mm -hmm. suffers the appropriate amount of time. Yeah. Um, so in this sense, some people receive the gift of eternal life and others don't. And then hell, death, Hades, mm -hmm. uh, the devil, they all receive the end of existence entirely yeah yeah they're annihilated <laughs> yeah completely yeah <laughs> yeah full lightning bolt yeah full thanos on them yeah they're gone <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah so um thank you for sharing that thanks for yeah. breaking it down um where would people get um their stances on this so if i'm a christian universalist um, yeah where would i where would i get this idea from Okay, so there are like a few underlying things, and it's probably best to start with uh, the traditionalist view because it is the majority, and then you can kind of see Great. how things work. And so, um, so this is for like, eternal conscious torment, right? Yeah, yeah, that's where we're starting. Torment. Yeah, okay. we'll start there. So the idea with eternal conscious torment is like essentially Augustine and. Aquinas are like mm -hmm. the main popularizers of theology in the West. And so what you end up having is, um, what's the best way of saying this? Augustine essentially is a Neoplatonist Christianized. So he looks, he says, I think it's in City of God. He says that the, uh, the Platonist way of looking at the world, we can Christianize it. And he's a couple hundred years later. Mm -hmm. And so He's like, this is a great framework. We can Christianize it. We'll take the same assumptions and then we'll mm -hmm. go from there. Okay. And with that comes this idea that the soul is immortal. The soul, and we can define all of that in a, in a little bit. And so that means for Augustine, his baseline assumption are these Neoplatonic assumptions that the soul is forever. And so mm -hmm. when he reads the Bible, he said he sees hell and he just immediately interprets it as eternal conscious torment because the mm -hmm. soul is immortal. Yeah. Um, the universalist does the same, but when they read scripture, they assume the soul is immortal. It's going to go on forever, but mm -hmm. they see certain passages that talk about everything being made subject to God, that death mm -hmm. and hell will be destroyed. There'll be no more. And they start saying, okay, if I'm going to be consistent across the board, that means people live forever. They will finally be made subject to God in a way, in a restorative, rehabilitative sense. Death and hell still need to be destroyed. But humans are made of the kind of stuff that goes on forever. Mm. Therefore, they're all going to end up in heaven. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I would say real quick, I think that the people that have... Um, I've interacted with that would take the stance. They go, well, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Totally. They, and they go, if scripture tells us 
um, that confession and belief in Jesus is what saves you and faith in him, yeah. then even if that is in hell, someone will eventually confess. Therefore, they're not going to spend eternity there. Totally. And so it's like they, and then it's, I feel like they always kind of propose a, a false dichotomy at sometimes, like at least the interactions mm-hmm. I've had. Well, either Jesus's sacrifice was strong enough or it wasn't. And I'm yeah. like, you're just trying to make me pick what you want me to pick, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like this, this angle really kind of does that and takes like, well, the power Jesus is not defeated by our unbelief, which is sin. Yeah. So he died for all sin, which I feel like rabbit trails into a whole nother conversation about yes. unbelief and stuff like that. But yeah, anyways, no, sorry. no, no, no. Don't apologize. I think that's great. And I think you're right. Like one of the things that's tough, like the reason why hell is such like an intense conversation to have is because it is literally the scariest thing you can imagine yeah and so oftentimes the people who the majority the traditionalists eternal conscious torment people they'll accuse anyone who does not hold that view of making that decision emotionally Hmm. and i don't i mean i didn't my journey into this was very theological i was doing my master's someone presented a paper on annihilationism i took some notes i was working through my own stuff and then later on, I was reading like Jonathan Edwards and Augustine and reading their conceptions of hell and having my own theological triggers be like, hey, that doesn't seem to line up because this is worldview stuff. That's how we kind of mm. put this together. But I also don't take the emotional thing as a pejorative. And so like sometimes people would be like, yeah, you made this decision based on emotions. I'd be like, yeah, of course. Like <laughs> if I'm saved, which I am, and if I believe that like God is good and just like, and just what you have to believe, for example, I like, I won't jump all the way ahead, but I've got Mm -hmm. some quotes from like Jonathan Edwards and Augustine, like some of their views for eternal conscious torment are like God works miracles on the human body while people are alive and being tormented in hell so that they neither lose consciousness or whatever everything is just like god is continually acting miraculously Mm. on their life so that they always experience maximum pain and that to me sounds like a pretty sadistic presupposition to make of um an omni benevolent god Mm. because Mm. there's a very drastic difference between say like a conditional immortality annihilationist view that says if you want to reject divine life i will let you reject divine life and let you go where that leads and there is still active punishment but it's very different to say for the rest of eternity god is going to be enacting vengeance Mm -hmm. um like that's a very big presupposition to me. Yeah. And I, sure. I think people clearly have emotional responses to that. And I don't think that's bad. Right. Like my kid doesn't listen to me. He's only nine months old. He doesn't yeah. listen to me now. Like I'm not going to beat the snot out of him yeah. for the next yeah. three weeks because of yeah. how much more I know than him and how much better. Of course I'm a better person than he is in the sense of like, yeah, what I contribute to society, whatever he's better than yeah. me and being cute and amazing and innocent and <laughs> whatever. I'm just smarter yeah. than him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Quick question though. So yeah. if I'm trying to listen, my wife always says before we jump onto these, Brennan, like the words of Michael Scott, explain this to me like I'm five. Yes. Um, 
if I was thinking this and you said, okay, is God actively tormenting people or would it be them being handed over to the enemy who's also in hell? Yeah. So it depends on your view. Um, But if you take the traditionalist view, well, uh, most people would say that like people's experience of hell is just their experience of God as like the uh, as a consuming fire or as love um but it's just like what happens say in the process of god making all things new and where you want to be um Hmm. so i'm trying to think of like a decent analogy um but like well here's a bad one but it's fine like you pretend like you're a vegetarian or a vegan like you're a vegan i'm not and we go to a world-class restaurant and like a world-renowned chef cooks up like a perfect prime rib steak for Mm -hmm. me that's heaven for you that's hell so the lots of people have this idea that people are experiencing god but it just depends on the perspective and what they long for right like c.s lewis Mm. talks about that a ton where like um he says that christians will say like okay yeah like thy will be done and so they follow God and then they experience fullness of life. And then there are people that God says to, no, that's fine. Thy will be done. You are heading down the path to death. And then you mm-hmm. are experiencing what it means to be removed from me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, yeah, wasn't that the great divorce? Yeah. Yes. Great book. Such a good book. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. So if you want, we can get into like, cause there are some overlaps and then we can chat about, uh, like I'll just share where I land in the annihilationist camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like th- there are these overlaps that each of the views have. So for example, like universalism and traditionalism or eternal conscious torment, mm-hmm. they both agree that the soul is immortal. And that means they disagree with annihilationism, which says that yep. the soul is finite or yep. uh, is, is mortal. Yep. Universalism and annihilationism agree that suffering ends and evil is eradicated, right? So traditionalists, yep. eternal conscious torment, they believe that suffering goes on forever, evil goes on forever, death and destruction go on mm. forever. And yep. then lastly, annihilationism and eternal conscious torment, they agree because uh, they say that the judgment is final and permanent. One mm-hmm. is like you're experiencing conscious permanent punishment. The other one is you are experiencing just destruction. You cease, you cease to exist. Yes. Yeah. 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 So go ahead. I guess um, maybe help us understand like how, how did you, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, but you read yep. a paper that someone uh, brought in yeah. on, uh, annihilationism. Yeah. So kind yep. of share with us the journey. Cause were you more of an ECT type of person prior yeah. to this? Yeah. I was just okay. brought up in that camp. Right. Like I did. Um, I just thought it, it's what everyone believes. It's what I heard of like a wanna. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have a wanna. Yeah, we do. Like you, yeah. yeah. Like youth group, all that stuff. It's what I just, I believe like, Oh, when you die, you go to heaven, you go to hell. Hell is every nightmarish little thing people can share to scare the pants off, scare the Jesus into you and the pants yeah. off of you. Yeah. Um, and then when I was doing my master's in theology, one of my friends presented on annihilationism. He was an annihilationist. 
annihilationist. He tried to disprove it. And one of his points was saying uh, annihilationism can't be true because the soul is immortal. And that was one of the notes that I took. And then once you start reading philosophy, and not just like philosophy broadly, like Western philosophy, mm -hmm. it was like this overlap for me of ancient Near Eastern um, biblical theology and what they believed and then reading broadly from a Western philosophical perspective where I recognize that like those overlaps didn't mm. exist the way that we tend to assume. Mm. So the big thing for me was like, what does the Bible assume about the soul and mm. not what Plato and Aristotle and whatever Westerns. And I love Western philosophy and Western civilization. Don't get me wrong, but like their presuppositions don't need to be correct. And so as I started going into that, um, that just started to like crack open just like the door a little bit let a little mm -hmm. bit of light shine in and i could just keep going through and try to map out what i thought yeah that's good yeah that's uh it's interesting that he so did, is he an annihilationist now or no um, you know i don't know i haven't like i graduated in 20 shoot maybe 2014 so a long time ago i haven't chat with him in ages i should see if he has instagram or something yeah the seminar like, i hey, went to yeah. Oh, yeah. Go go, ahead. No, go for it. No, you're good. Go ahead. I would say the seminar I went to had like the so I, I started taking my master's when I was 22. And um, he started taking his master's. He was like 42 because he's like he was a dad and he wanted to become a pastor and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. And so yeah. we were like totally different areas of life. So now he'd be like mid 50s and I'd be like, hey, man, are you still like, do you still think this is wrong? He'd be like, Josh, I haven't heard from you in ages. Yeah. Well, when he said, I wonder if he has Instagram, my, my first thought was, yeah, of course he does. But now you said that, I'm like, well, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, man. Maybe not. Boomers just have Facebook. Yeah, hundred percent. You'd find him <laughs> on there for sure. Posting in, uh, in all sorts of fun groups there. <laughs> yeah. All sorts of forums. Yeah. Um, and so like the big thing for me was the immortality of the soul. And, um, I don't mind like working through that with you to like, uh, I think it's a really cool, like for me, it's cool. Yeah. Um, there are like take, three main take things. Us there. Yeah. Yeah. There are like three main things that make up the, like when we're discussing the immortality of the soul, what people are talking about, they're talking about the persistence of the soul, the internal subsistence of the soul, and then the external resistance of the soul. And so like we can define all those things. So persistence just means that the soul persists forever. It's immortal, right? It's mm -hmm. made of the kind of stuff that's going to go on. By internal subsistence, which is again, like scholars just don't know how to sound cool. They just like use big words all the time. And so like that just means that the soul, because God made it, has this innate ability to persist in mm. and of itself, right? So it's like, by left to itself, after God has made it, left to itself, a soul is made out of the kind of stuff that is going to keep on going, like energizer yeah. battery to the max. Let's keep going. Um, and then the last one, the external resistance, that just means like the soul is indestructible. So when someone is talking about the immortality of the soul, they're saying that the soul is made up of the kind of stuff that is impervious to like external elements and forces. So even if Thanos gave the snap or even if like, doesn't matter what it is it is made out of the kind of stuff that cannot be destroyed okay. so in in the christian doctrine <clears throat> immortality of the soul gets a little bit broader 
and we'll say like God fully intends souls to last forever and therefore makes them out of the stuff that will be indestructible and everlasting. And they exist in their own steam because of like whatever God makes can't be destroyed. That's the assumption. Mm. Um, now, yeah. I don't think that's actually what the Bible teaches personally. Yeah. Um, I think that the Bible sets out a view like we can work through like some of the here's what we can do. Like, I, I don't mind just like going crazy. We can work through like the biblical narrative, like what is the meta narrative of scripture and mm -hmm. how do humans fit into that? We can look at some passages that talk about like where immortality comes from. And then we mm. can work. I saw on the show notes, there's like tons of problem passages. Yeah. We can work through some of those problem passages. We can just see the whole shebang. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Awesome. Yeah. Break yeah. in whenever you want. And then okay. we can just, I'll answer whenever. Great. Um, Sounds good. So the, I don't think that the Bible teaches that the soul is immortal. I think that is, like I said, previous, like a Neoplatonic Augustinian presupposition yeah. that, again, that makes me sound like a, a bit of a jerk to say it that way. <laughs> but it's just like Augustine lives in a world, right? Like it would be the same as um, any one of us reading the scriptures being 3,000 years removed from when these were first written and just assuming mm. we have the same ideas of every single word and concept. Um, so Augustine had a lens. He used it. I think it's the wrong lens. And so if we want to build up what I believe is the biblical lens, I think we have to start with like the narrative of scripture. So in the beginning, God makes humanity and God makes them of the dust. And from the Bible's perspective, this isn't like a chemistry lesson. God isn't yeah. saying that we are biologically fundamentally dust. Mm -hmm. um, God is saying that humans are of the earth, that we are, we are created. God is not created. We are human and mortal, right? Dust yep. is not whatever. And that's being yeah. contrasted with, with God. Yeah. So um, the garden of Eden is a place that like humanity enjoys this close relationship with God and humanity is commissioned to bring the beauty of Eden to the rest of the cosmos. And so part of what that blessing is, is this relationship and freedom to eat from the tree of life, right? And so this is like part and parcel of whatever the author of the first uh, 11 chapters of Genesis is trying to say, is that um, wrapped up in what it means to be human is this mortality we're of the dust but then we're also like animated by god and we are invited to share god's rule with the rest of the cosmos but then also partake in the tree of life mm. so if we want to understand what the tree of life is we're lucky there's a bit of context in those first three chapters yeah um and some of the context is just knowing what happens if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the text says they would die and the best mm -hmm. rendering of that phrase is not like you die that second, like the Zeus lightning bolt. Yeah. The best rendering of that is the like you're doomed to die. Um, sort of like if you eat too much ice cream, you are doomed to get fat. Right. It's like inevitable. Yes. That's the trajectory and, of doing this. Yeah. Yes. This is what is going to happen. And essentially, yeah. like if you want to pick out the language, because that's like it's so key to understanding our scripture is. In Genesis chapter 3, 19, from dust you are made to dust you shall return. 
Yeah. So like that's key. And then we get another insight to what the tree of life is when we look at Genesis 3, 22 and 23, where God blocks the entrance back into Eden with an angel and says, yep. man has become like one of us. Um, and we he can't be allowed to reach out, take from the tree of life, eat it and live forever. And so if we take those verses mm. and just begin to assess them, in my mind, it comes it becomes pretty clear that the consequences of sin is death. And that is legitimate death. Um, that's ceasing that he, to exist altogether is what you're saying, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. so. I think that's what the scriptures continue to build upon. OK. Um, and that if we are going to live forever, we depend on God. Right. Mm -hmm. So. I think that like Romans three and five bears us out. The wages of sin is death. Um, and so it seems like for me, when I put my Bible together, the tree of life is what gave immortality. And ultimately God is the one who gives life. Yeah. It's not something that man has his own. It was a gift from God. And that makes sense in my mind with the rest of the Bible. Mm. So I think Genesis spells out the nature of humanity, at least a part of it, who we are is dust, immortal immortality the living forever all of that stuff comes with this right relationship with god and partaking in his mm -hmm. his life yeah. right yep what do you think yes that was a lot but it was really yeah, it was good though i think i think the piece that's interesting mm -hmm. is um <clears throat> kind of analyzing the creation of adam and eve totally how they're like you said they're created from the dust i've read that hundreds of times yeah um, but really kind of assessing what what isn't not only is what god doing like in creating people in his image but how is he creating them and what is he creating them of i yeah. i don't know if i've ever really asked myself that question I'm like oh cool god created mankind created from the totally. dust. great but i don't know if i've ever stopped me like What's the significance of being created from dust? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, if I'm honest, I don't know if I've ever really thought that question. Yeah, and it's because it's a big, uh, it's a big question, and oftentimes, depending on the camps you end up in, um, we turn it into a science seminar where, like, <laughs> being made of dust is like, oh, God's saying that we're made of carbon and we're made of nitrogen and we're made of this. Oh, be like, no, that's not what God's saying. What God's saying is like we are made of earthly material finite mortal stuff and yeah. he animates us by his spirit yep. and if if humanity sins and eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from dust you are made to dust you will return you mm -hmm. are rejecting god's life you are rejecting mm. all of those things and so um those are like pretty powerful things and then yeah yeah well i it's tough because i feel like i have questions that's going to lead all down these these other roads because it's like we can do it like take um i know like psalm is like poetry and stuff like that but like yeah the expressions of like you like you knew me like you formed me in my mother's womb before the or and then later in scripture before the foundation of the earth you know what i mean like yep all these it's speaking to this intimacy that god has with us mm -hmm. but um at some level, you're you're pro you're watching me process real time. It's yeah, no, that's great. great. I but I love it. But it's like thinking like, huh? Because I grew up in the ECT camp, and I'd probably mm -hmm, say mm -hmm. that's probably more where I lean. And mm -hmm. I can look to some different scriptures that we'll talk about a little bit later. 
Yeah. But I think as I was doing this and even reading some of your stuff, I'm like, I'm not like totally like opposed to this. You know what I mean? I'm opposed to Christian universalism for sure. But it's like, I can kind of see how people get there, you know? Um, Yeah. I guess I'm just, I'm just processing because I'm thinking of all these other scriptures that kind of speak to this. um, Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Do you kind of get what I'm referencing? I know exactly. I know exactly what you're saying. And so like, this is again, the part where like the consistency and foundations and worldview matter, right? Because all of us are coming to scripture, which is the data. It's all the same data and tons of people are ending up in different spaces. And so we can ask why, why is it that someone can read the first 11 chapters of Genesis and they think it's like an old earth or a young earth, or it's mythological or it's, like scientific history or whatever, it's because we have underlying presuppositions that inform Absolutely. how we read a text. And for the you most part- You referenced those earlier as lenses. Yeah. Like Augustine yes. had his own lens for, to interpret yeah. things. And that's where you said, I feel like the lens, um, you, you, you read these passages through a different lens than he does. Yes. Okay. And Got I it. think that the biggest way, like, so the lens that we have to put on, because we are not, the primary readers of the text in the sense of like it wasn't written to us immediately, but we do get to participate in it. Yeah. And so like, we are just so far removed. Like, dude, you, you make memes, you know, this like so deep. (laughs) If like, if I ghosted and went off Instagram for a month or two, there would be so many new meme formats that I, that's just a month in the modern world that I'd be like, what the heck are people even saying? I don't get this. If yeah. you take that and you stretch it across 3000 years and across yep. an ocean and like across technological boundaries, like we're, we're yeah. talking a different language. hundred percent. And so we all have these frameworks and lenses and essentially what we want to do is remove as many of them as possible. So mm-hmm. we can see the Bible clearly the way that the original authors intended and the way that the original readers would have understood. Yeah. How, Okay, I'm going to go down this road. How would someone go about removing those lenses that they have? Yeah. In, so, in, a, in a way that is still honoring yeah. to, to the text. Yeah. Um, podcasts like this are great. Like, honestly, there's no shortcut for study. Um, yeah. And so for me, like I was brought up as a Christian. I was brought up Reformed Baptist. I'm neither of those things now. And then I went to a Reformed Baptist seminary um, and there's just nothing that has beat, like I've spent 20, so I have my master's, I was catechized growing up and then I did my master's over a couple of years. And then since then, it's like, this is all I do. Yeah. I like, there's just no shortcut for like reading thousand page books on the topic. Yeah. Um, 100%. But I realize not everyone can do this. And so there mm. are beautiful places and spaces online whether you agree with them or not like that's not the goal the goal is not to just find people you agree with the goal is to do what you're doing find people who are asking questions who are being genuine who actually want to lead you into truth yeah and just see if you agree why or why not and your Mm -hmm. answer can't be i agree because my daddy's daddy's pastor told them this 30 years ago and this is just what we all believe yeah or i saw this reel on instagram yeah. yeah. If that, yeah, if that's ever your answer, like, and it's yeah. not one of mine, then you can go away. <laughs> yeah. I, it's not one of mine. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's, it's interesting because when I think about this topic of like removing um, filters, the reality is it's almost kind of like, 
feels like you remove a filter with a current filter in place at the same time. Does yeah. that you get what I'm saying by that? Like, oh yeah. Like if I'm trying to figure out where I land on the doctrine of hell, whether yep. I like it or not, I'm trying to re- remove filters to hopefully at some levels consciously or subconsciously with the one that I agree the most with and or, and or feel the most comfortable with. Yeah. And so that's, that's the part that I think is tricky and this can go into a whole topic of deconstruction, but we won't go down that road right now, but it's like, how do I stay faithful to the text? If I'm, if I'm unsure of what the original filter should look like on that text, you know, um, for me, like, cause I, like my story, we don't need to go all the way into deconstruction stuff, but I just remember one of the baseline assumptions that I made when I went to university, I just asked two major questions. The first one was like, did Jesus raise from, rise from the dead? If he resurrected, if he didn't, the Bible says the intrigue can be married because tomorrow you're toast anyways. Um, <laughs> and so I took a year to figure that out on my own. And then the second thing I did was like, took a year to figure out if the Bible is true. Cause I was like, even if Jesus rose from the dead, if the Bible's not legit in whatever mm-hmm. capacity that I can do whatever I want anyways, cause no one can tell me, what God said. Yeah. Once I was convinced of those two things, then my whole deconstruction reconstruction journey was based on the resurrection and that the Bible in some capacity is ultimate truth yeah. or a form of ultimate truth. Like tradition for me is a part of what that looks like. Yeah. Um, and so I think that depending on where people are coming from, deconstruction is legitimate if people are doing it for legitimate reasons. Yeah. I, like I always tell people, if you want it's to just, deconstruct to get out, just leave. Like I, yeah. no one's going to fight to keep you in. Like, just be honest with yourself. You don't need to be yeah. afraid. Yeah. Uh, but if you're going to deconstruct in order to see like, Hey, I want to find out what's true. Yeah. Then make that the baseline assumption and like, be like, Hey, if you have to go all the way back to, do I think the Bible is true? You go there and we'll chat. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's you, I think I love how you said that. If you want to leave, just leave. Like you don't have, but People might be like, well, I need to invalidate it to confirm my reason for leaving, you know, Um, but I think at the end of the day, if you're just trying to, um, I think that word deconstruct is such a hot button topic now, like you say it, like right wing people are like, oh, you super liberal, you know, (laughs) it's just like, it's been politicized, (laughs) it's been abused. And, um, but what you're saying is like, I'm going back to scripture and allowing scripture to define the things that I believe not yeah. um what i've just been told by my great great grandfather's brother's pastor you know totally and, and, and that, I, go ahead yeah i was just saying and that's like that's one of the the key things where um it doesn't matter what even like and i'll just be as broad as possible it doesn't matter what anyone believes about the book it is the central book of christianity and so if you want to know what hmm. christians believe yeah then you take the book as authoritative because that's what we believe is authoritative. And so you don't need to agree with that. Like there are great scholars I read who are not Christians and they do great Mm -hmm. work because they just say like, this is what Christians believe. And they're like, yeah, I don't believe it. I'm like, I do. That's actually pretty good scholarship. And I'm taking notes. And so when we want to do the work of like, what is the Bible actually saying on its own terms? There are Mm -hmm. many levels we do that with. Um, but they're like books that can get you into not just what history and tradition has talked about. 
there are books on certain topics that can get you into like what the ancient Near Eastern conception of like a seven day creation is, mm. um, what the ancient Near Eastern conception of the soul is, what Sheol yeah. is, you know what I mean? Like yeah. all of these things require study Yeah. and the study's worth it. Like mm -hmm. I'm telling you as a person who could, and like, even if your gateway in is like the Bible project. Yeah, I love those videos and yeah. like, I don't agree with everything they say. It's fine. <laughs> but if someone like interacted with those videos and their podcasts, you're going to get exposed to a ton that will allow you to go deep. Yeah. And books beat those every time. Like the 100%. videos are beautiful. Yeah. But books will just take you on this journey. And if you're open, you get to experience and think through and process. And that's yeah. how we come to scripture more clearly. Yeah. And that's, that's super good. I think, um, what you were saying about a lot of this just takes time. And I think yeah. that our current culture doesn't like to take time on stuff anymore. It's like, yeah. I, I want to yeah. know right now and I want to find the most succinct way to do this. So that way I can have a stance at some level on this, not realizing the person that they're listening to and or reading probably spent years, maybe decades getting to the spot <laughs> yeah. that they're in. Um, and so, totally. I think at some level, I, I love what you said. It's kind of a lost art uh, to say two things. I don't know. And I'm learning slowly. Like, oh man, like those two things are really freeing actually, because especially yeah. in the world of competition on internet and posting stuff and rebuttaling with people, like you feel like you have to be an expert in everything. And the reality is we're not, no, if someone says they're an expert in everything, they're straight lying to you. <laughs> they're not. Yeah. But it's, it's, they're selling it's, something. Exactly. And so it's just the, it's learning the discipline of yeah. slowing down saying, I don't know, and taking time to learn things. Yeah. And, yeah. and doing what you're, what you're doing is like learning to ask real questions. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think you are 100% correct. Like saying, I don't know, and saying I'm learning, those are the first steps into finding anything out. Like yeah. to bastardize one of Jesus's parables when he says like, I come like the, I've come to heal the sick. Those yeah. people who are well don't need a doctor. Yeah. Be like, listen, I'm sick. I don't know things. I need knowledge. Yeah. But like if, if we are so arrogant to assume that we have everything figured out, mm -hmm. uh, we just cut ourselves out from enjoying truth and yeah. like God, it, Jesus is the way, the truth <laughs> and the life. And so like, yeah. why would you rob yourself? Yeah. Of trying to be in the truth. Yeah. Hmm. That's um, good. I don't really know, even know how we got here, but it's a great conversation. Yeah, it's good. But no, look, we're talking about we, filters. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so yeah. some of the questions that got me like to, to circle onto the questions of like, what are the honest questions I kept asking myself was like, not just like, okay, I, I read these old Testament scholars who talk about like from dust, you're made to dust, you return mm -hmm. the difference of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil my next questions were like, does the rest of the Bible teach this? Right. Yeah. Um, does the rest of the Bible teach that man is inherently immortal or that he's mortal and needs immortality as a gift? And I'll just read two verses or mm -hmm. two, two little sections. Cause yeah. we could go really deep, but like essentially then that's just like a Bible study. Yeah. And we um, might start losing people if we pass the hour, hour 15 mark. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I'll be as charming as I can. Yeah. There you um, go. And so the two main verses are like, or passages are first Timothy six, 15 and 16, which just says, God is the blessed and only ruler, King of Kings, Lord of Lord, Lord of Lords, 
who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. And then, so that is saying only God has immortality. He alone is immortal. And then the second passage from 2 Timothy chapter 1 says that uh, God has saved us, called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, um, saying that this grace was given uh, us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, now has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality and light through the gospel. So mm. it looks like immortality is a blessing and promise of the gospel. Okay. So when I saw those two passages, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, there's tons more. Yeah. But like, I was like, oh, okay. Um, there we go. Like, this is a straight line right through. Mm -hmm. Humans are mortal. God gives immortality as a gift for following him. You partake in his life. Yeah. And I think a point of clarity. So annihilationists, you would say that there, it's not that there isn't a hell. It just has an expiration date for lack of better words. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that that's yeah. my take. There's some people who will say um, there is no hell, that once you die, the separation you experience before the final judgment is like your hell. And that yeah. the final judgment, God annihilates and destroys everything. Hmm. But most annihilationists say yeah. after the final judgment, God, you experience some sort of finite punishment for the deeds that you've done. Yeah. And it, it varies. Would, would that be tied to because since you are mortal and not immortal, your punishment can only go for so, for so long because a mortal body can only receive so much punishment. Exactly. Would, that, would it pair like that? Exactly. And so essentially, depending on where people land, is God will make people endure in the mm -hmm. sense of like he will, uh, what's the best way of saying it? It's not like an active thing, but it's saying like people will get like their the fullness of of what they deserve. So like I, for example, think that like to what's it's Godwin's law. It's only inevitable before someone brings up Hitler. Hitler yeah. is going to suffer differently than like yeah. uh, some normie who didn't kill six million people. Yeah, right? but still denied Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. And so like that difference is just just and it's normal. And I don't know what the length of time will look like. We're not told those things. So yeah. I just don't know. Yeah. It's like, is it a week? Is it a month? Is it yeah. 10,000 years? Like nobody yeah. knows. Yeah. But there is this finite time. So yeah. they go. And then once everything's done, God destroys death and hell and Hades. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's no more sin, death, destruction left in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man, that was, that was yeah. super helpful. Cool. Um, we're going to jump into, um, I want to ask some of these general questions and yeah. then I want to ask, as you can see in there, uh, a pat, like a pastoral question, because yeah, there's a lot of people that has, you said uh, like has anxiety, they have anxiety about hell, like this whole topic yeah. and they avoid yes. it because they don't know what to do with it or how to wrestle with it. So I want to ask some general questions that people sent in, but also maybe just We'll address it maybe from a pastoral perspective, shepherding yeah. uh, perspective as well. 100%. Um, so the first question is, are people in heaven and hell now or are they in waiting? Yeah. So um, there are people who have different views on this, obviously, like people have yeah. different views on everything. So there's some people who believe like your soul, like you, there's soul sleep, um, yep. which is like this idea that you die and your soul takes a 
catches 40 winks until like the final judgment. And it'll and then, feel like a blink to them, essentially. Yes, yeah, so it'll feel like a blink. Yeah. God rings the cosmic alarm bell, the trumpet, and then um, everyone wakes up for judgment. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Is personally. the trumpet careless whisper? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, I don't hold to that personally. I think yeah. that um, when we die, our soul is separated from the body. <clears throat> and that's why, like, it's not the fullness of time. I think, like, the resurrection of the body is what people are longing for. And so when I try to put scripture together and be consistent, I think our souls are either present with God in some capacity <clears throat> or they're not present with God in some capacity. Mm. And um, so like people want to call that an intermediate state. That's mm -hmm. fine. Like I don't, I don't really care what people call it. Yeah. Um, the idea would be that, we have in the book of revelation there are saints we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses there are saints who are pouring out prayers before the throne of god like they're not asleep they're not like sleep talking they're yeah. awake but they're disembodied like they're not in their resurrected bodies yeah yep uh and then we have other passages of scripture that talk about like some people are separated from god they are not embodied in that place of separation mm. they are still disembodied in their souls so they're not even fully human right then yeah yeah and so i mean a couple of passages come up so uh john 11 with lazarus when they're like we know he's not dead he'll raise again on the last day when everybody like so what would you say to yep. a person says well what about that passage yeah so they're like these transitionary <clears throat> periods so like you have the old testament that exclusively talks about sheol which just talks about mm -hmm. the grave so the grave is the realm of the dead um, and in the Old Testament, everyone went to the grave. David went to the grave. Evildoers went to the grave. Everyone's in the grave. Yeah. Um, when Jesus comes, his parables like start to like elucidate more about what like the supernatural reality is like. Um, but one of the main conceptions where things change like is death and resurrection so you have this like period of time where pre-death resurrection people their conception of what uh life is you have like jews who believe like oh in abraham's bosom or whatever mm -hmm. yeah um at the death and resurrection of jesus like the eastern orthodox believe in like the harrowing of hell where jesus descends i'm going to be posting about this soon where like jesus goes he descends into hell and he liberates people from the realm of the dead. And then he brings them to this disembodied heaven. Mm. And I believe that. I think that's what happens. And so I think that the, it, before, yeah, go for it. Sorry. And would that be like what is talked about in first Peter three? Like yes. when he's referencing, like in this time he went down and so descended. And so that yes. was one of the questions you can see on the show notes. Like did yeah. Jesus preach in hell or where did he go? Yeah, yeah, that's what I believe. And I think it's just yeah. the most consistent. So like uh, Peter talks about going to Tartarus, which is like the their conception of hell, real hell. Yeah. And I think what the Eastern Orthodox believe is like legit. It's really good. So it's kind of like this all depends on your view of the atonement, too. But mm -hmm. um, in my mind, it's like divine espionage where Jesus like he tricks the devil into letting him into the realm of the dead. Mm -hmm. And then he goes and kicks butt and liberates all people who are righteous from the realm of the dead, from the grave. Yeah. And he brings them to himself. Mm -hmm. And so 
then I got goosebumps a little bit because that's just so awesome. And yeah. like then the now the conception is post-resurrection when people die, they are either going to be present with God in some capacity, not fullness, mm-hmm. or present in that realm of the dead. And again, not fullness. It will get worse or it will get better. Yeah. Dude, you're taking us to school and I'm here for it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> this is my um, jam, man. No, I love it. I'm I'm glad because I'm like, honestly, like in this topic, I, I enjoy it and I've studied it a little, like a bit, but not like, <laughs> I have not. I have not yeah. done a lot of work, kind of what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, um, it just takes time. Yep, that's right. And I just have to be okay with that. It's okay to say, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Then we have a conversation like this and it's just like, okay, this is cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do we do uh, with like all the parables that Jesus talks about? Like when he, because I feel mm-hmm. like he talks about separation, weeping and gnashing of teeth, like all that stuff, yeah. a decent amount. He does a ton. He talks more about hell than anyone. And so there are like, quote unquote, problem passages for my view. Um, And some of them are like the places where like Jesus talks about heaven and hell and the language that he uses. Mm -hmm. There are other passages like so like Jesus says, like the worm does not die. Pardon me. Fire is not quenched. There's tons of stuff. Yeah. Um, and we don't have the time to go into like all of the Old Testament passages where those yeah. come from. But ultimately, what we're trying to do is be consistent. And so one of the major ones, for example, is in Revelation where it talks about like the smoke of torment rising forever. Yep. And is that 14 John, and 16, I think? Yeah, 14, 16, and I maybe a little bit in 20. 20. There's something yeah. in 20. Yeah. The second death and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. And so um there are Old Testament passages that John is quoting from, and those passages themselves are using destruction in Genesis mm. as a metaphor and symbol. So mm. sometimes you have like the smoke is rising from Sodom and Gomorrah, but it'll call it Eden, Edom, yeah. and it's saying it's still rising today. And this is Isaiah or Ezekiel writing about it, and you're like, it's clearly not still rising today. Yeah, But the consequences Mm. are still in effect today. And so when you try to put the passage together, you say like, what is the artist? What is the prophet? What is the person doing the writing trying to communicate? Yeah, You say the destruction is so complete that the effects are still ongoing. And it's Mm. clearly not just the physicality where the smoke is still rising up. Yeah, You would just like, so um, if I wanted to say like, um, we partied super hard last night. We were laughing so hard, whatever, like yeah. not drinking, not buzz, not yeah. whatever, yeah. just doing our thing. We're laughing so hard. We'd say like, like we split our sides or yeah. whatever, right? That's yeah. like a figure of speech. Yeah. We're like, no, I didn't legit split my side. I didn't need to go to the hospital, but I'm trying yeah. to communicate that I was like so over the top laughing. Yeah. And I think that's what like, so in Revelation, John is picking up, I think, the same seeds of symbolic language saying Mm. um, the destruction. You've heard it said like this is what the destruction was like in the Old Mm. Testament. Yeah, it's bigger and more intense here in the New Testament. uh, But it's still the same um, framework. John is twisting the meaning to say, oh, no, no, the smoke's kicking back up and it's real smoke now. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I get what you're saying. So when Jesus starts talking about stuff like this, 
then mm-hmm. I think we have to have that same framework. Yeah. What would you say to the the Luke 16 passage about the rich man and, and Lazarus when he's like, just tell him to dip his finger in the water so I can have some sort of relief? Yeah. Um, so parables are tough. Yeah. Um, so my buddy did his um, paper on annihilationism and I did my paper on interpreting the parables. Mm. parables are really tough to derive theology from because if we push them too far, they break. They're just like stories. They're analogies, right? Like if, if we push anything too far, it's going to snap. And so, um, there are, so Roman Catholics believe in purgatory, Eastern Orthodox believe that like the soul lingers in some capacity after death in the sense that like, there is like the Valley of the toll houses. If you don't know what Mm -hmm. that is, we don't need to get into it. And so like, there's just all these different conceptions. And so I personally don't think that we're going to see conversations like that as like the, the normal MO. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think we have places in scripture that like kind of throw us for a loop where like Samuel's ghost appears (laughs) to Saul in the old Testament. And we're like, Whoa, what the, This shatters a lot of my thoughts that I have about this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so like that kind of stuff, um, I like personally don't think that, for example, that is going to happen super often. But mm-hmm. I do think uh, and I'm working through lots of church fathers, lots of people in the tradition. They have said that there is a point to praying for the dead. Um. And it goes against like a lot of my Protestant upbringing sensibilities, but it's just a question to interact with. Right. And so there are, there are just things where if I want to be consistent across the board and Samuel's ghost pops up and you have the rich man and Lazarus and you have a couple other passages be like, okay, does how I answer, put them together well and Mm. perfectly. No, currently right now it doesn't. And so I want to, that's what's one of the things I'm reading about. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a tricky one. Oh, for sure. And I and I th- and I think that's kind of a lot. I got asked that one a lot of like, yes. well, what about this this parable? And parables are tricky because it's like, and it's it goes back to that filter conversation though too. Yeah, like I'm gonna read and interpret parables with whatever filter I have in place that lines up whether consciously or subconsciously with what I believe most. And yes. so it's, and that's just the tricky. And I think, but honestly, that's what I love about like studying and reading and spending time with the Lord is like the challenging of why I think the way that I do not so far mm-hmm. as in where I completely lose my faith. That's not what I'm saying, but in the sense of like, why do I believe that? Is it because I yeah. am uncomfortable to think otherwise or does it feel like, like I'm abandoning my faith if I think otherwise? Well, then if I feel that way, why do, why won't I think about that? Is my faith so insecure that I can't ask questions? Right. Anyways. Oh, no, no, that's huge. And I yeah. think that like the courage to ask a good question, that's the hardest part. There's a philosopher I really love and he says the hardest thing is finding the right questions. The easy yeah. part is answering them, but it, like having the courage to ask the right question yeah. is really big because yeah. we all have questions, right? Like I remember growing up, I mean, I'm a man, obviously being like, oh man, like what happens if like I, if I, if Jesus comes back before I have sex, 
<laughs> I'd be like, no one talks about it, but be like, we all think about it. Yeah. And so like, yeah. I wanted like, I wanted to know the answer to the question, like, will there yeah. be sex in heaven? And so I studied it yeah. and I have a great answer to it. And so like, yeah. but we have to be courageous enough to be like, yeah, I'm going to ask the question. And some yeah. of it is like, are there ghosts? That's a yeah. big one. Are yeah. there ghosts? That's a yeah. hard question. Mm-hmm. And if you just, like, if we don't answer it well. Yeah. So I was writing the other day and I think it's way more honorable. I think God will be way more pleased with us if we do our best to find the truth and we're not right. than if we maybe get lucky and are right, but we just agree with what someone else told us to believe. I think there's no honor in that. Hmm. Right. Be like, Hey, marry this girl. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, go do this. Yeah. Okay. But if you deliberately decide to be after something and live for it, that's Mm -hmm. way better and way different. Yeah, because there's that a sense of effort. And I think even like, uh, I mean, because that could be fear-based as well because you have the the parable totally. of um, the king um, entrusting his money to certain servants. The one that buried it that, that didn't really do much just got roasted. Like, yeah. you wicked servant. And I'm like, oof, that's Preach, some strong right? words. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, the preacher's coming out in me right now. Yeah, I love it. Um, so the last question I want to ask Mm-hmm. We're going to zoom out from being in all these doctrinal or uh, theological yeah. conversations. Just as like a Christian, how should the yeah. doctrine of hell impact your life, our lives? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously hell is big and scary. And it's like the, I was out for drinks. This is a, a while ago with one of the guys from the climbing gym. And uh, he asked me, he's like, what are the two like most archaic things you believe being a Christian? Because we were just chatting and then what he knew I was a Christian. What a great question. Yeah, he was a great guy. And I was like, hey, here's two. One of them that hell's real. And number two, sex before marriage is bad. I was like, those are the two things I wish I didn't have to believe living in the 21st century. Hmm. But I do because I'm convinced that it's legit. And so like hell is one of those ones that like feels archaic. And it also feels crazy because of the culture that we currently live in, which is um, like there's two sides to this. We are so far removed, knock on wood, from like like war and destruction and death and evil that we can't conceptualize that it would take a force of good to destroy evil. That's so far removed from us, right? Yeah. and then the second thing that we're so far removed from is we just live in a very lenient, tolerant, um, um, castrated world. Of, like unconditional love has been castrated. It is mm. it is a shell of what it is intended to be. Mm. We think that unconditional love means like by the standards of our modern time, Jesus would never preach the Sermon on the Mount because it's not unconditional because he demands so much from us. Mm. And so when those two things pop up and you start talking about hell, it becomes very taboo and archaic because we say like, yeah, there's evil and there's consequences for the stuff you do that's wrong. Mm. And number two, um, when you reject life, you are on the path to death. Mm. Those are hard things to say in a modern world. And this is the hardest thing for like Christians have to talk about, because if you're not on if you're not on the inside, then you're on the outside. Mm-hmm. And you don't go to the good place, you go to the bad place. And to say that verbatim to someone, what do you think if I reject Jesus? Be like, okay, this is like what Christians believe. 
it's not fun yeah um and so like the first step pastorally is to i think because for me um it doesn't look like this online because you guys interact with me just through a screen and you see all the christian stuff i do but like the majority of my friends are not christian the majority of the world i live in is not christian and when i talk to people about stuff um these are the kinds of conversations I want to have. And I want to have them in a way that is still good and true and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about hell and people ask, I recognize they're asking questions about like, who am I as a person mm. and whether or not like God exists or not, like, am I good? That's mm. the biggest pastoral question. And I, I tell them pretty often, I'm like, listen, like, Hell's a big scary doctrine and just the ideas of it, you can straw man it, be like, how can you believe in a good God? Blah, blah, blah. We can do philosophical stuff all you want. But ultimately it feels like to me, like what you're asking is like, what's goodness? Am I good? What's a standard of goodness? Yeah. Like, who am I as a person? Mm-hmm. Um, and so pastorally, I guess initially my big thing when I talk about hell is to recognize like, yeah, it's real scary. Number two, most people, when they want to talk, they want to talk about goodness. They want to talk about virtue. They want to talk about where they land, not necessarily in like in regards to hell, but they want to be like, if you ask someone like, hey, like, are you a good person? Be like, well, I'm, I'm not Hitler. I'm not whoever. I'm doing okay. And be like, yeah. hey, are we really though? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's the major one. I think the other ones are just like, I think hell is an invitation from the other way to live in, in life. And so you can, one of the things that I do for myself is to say, um, if I want to have the best marriage possible, what are the things I can do? And I'll be like, I should do this. I do do this. I do this. And then I say, what are my worst traits? And my biggest temptations. Yeah. Now, what would happen if I let those run rampant? If I let like my yeah. tendency to drink too much or get too angry or be apathetic? Yeah. What happens if I let those go unchecked for 10 years? Yeah. I, this is I premarital would, advice too and marital advice at yes. the same time. Yeah. I would like, I would blow my marriage to smithereens. Yeah. I think, I think hell's the same thing. I'd be yeah. like, listen, if you keep choosing death over and over and over and over again, you will you get keep death. rejecting. Yeah. If you keep rejecting life, that's what you get. That's yeah. the way you want to go. God says to you, thy will be done. Yeah. And so I think hell is, again, the concept of hell for a Christian is an invitation to say, you know what? I do not want to go to that place. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reorient my life to say every choice I make is continually towards Jesus and yeah. his life. Towards life and life to the full, as Jesus would say. Yeah. 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 And I think I'd probably chime in a little bit in the sense of, um, allowing the doctrine of hell and understanding the reality of it. I mean, if you're a Christian universalist or LDS, listen to this, you probably won't agree with what I'm about to say, but, um, allow this to be like fire on like in your stomach to, to be involved in people's lives and have real mm-hmm. conversations and, um, not be so superficial in friendships. And I'm not saying don't be that guy that always wants to talk about super serious stuff all the time. That's not what I'm saying, <laughs> but I would say allow the reality of eternity, um, and, or, and, or annihilationism or the, the finite, uh, life that someone may have actually draw you to invite them into the full life that Jesus has for them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, like that's that's a really big piece that I talk to people that are really nervous about hell. I'm like, yeah. okay, but the, like you, what you said, the opposite of that is actually, what does life look like lived to the full? And mm-hmm. pursuing that life of life to the full is in the opposite direction of what you're worried about. Exactly. No. Yeah. And I, I think that those two have to go hand in hand. Like, yeah, I had, the like I said, Jesus scared into me, like through the doctrine of hell. Yeah. But as I've gotten older, I'm like, no, like Jesus doesn't share that just to scare people. He invites them into life fullness mm-hmm. and says, you should also reject death yeah. and its fullness. Yeah. And so like, the, the motivation is, like you said, inviting people to participate in mm-hmm. the absolute fullness of life. Yeah. And then if you're doing that, you got mm-hmm. nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. It's often when I talk to people who are like, I'm afraid that I'm going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit because it's the unforgivable sin. I'm like, the fact that you're concerned about blaspheming the Holy Spirit <laughs> yeah, shows you're fine, that you're, that you're going to be fine, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just think it's, it's a topic that I think a lot of people are interested in, but kind of afraid to venture into as well. Um, totally. And so, yeah, man, well, um, I appreciate you and sharing, um, all that, all your thoughts on this and all your views and helping us understand more fully and ask good questions about the doctrine of hell. Um, so I want to say thank you for being here. Appreciate you a ton and taking time out of your day. If you do not follow Josh on sword and pencil, make sure you do. The art is beautiful. One day I will get it tattooed on me somewhere and it's going to look so good. Um, and make sure you head over to a store and have beautiful prints and all that stuff in your office, just like mine. So once again, man, thank you so much. I appreciate you a ton. Yeah. Thank you so much, dude. It was an honor. It was great to connect.